This is Pretty Much Pop, or at least a rehearsal of Pretty Much Pop. Today we're talking about the rehearsal and other works of Nathan Fielder. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer. I only practiced what I was going to say before starting this episode 1,500 times. Lawrence. Why you got to be me? Is it because I'm black? You rehearsed me being black, and since you rehearsed me being black, you therefore made me go first. No, I'm kidding. That was all rehearsal. All right, Sarah Lynn, introduce yourself. (laughs) Oh, man, how can I follow that? I'm Sarah Lynn Bruck, and I think I make a really good scene partner. And I'm Al Baker in the UK, and... Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna redo that because I feel I feel like Nathan Fielder deserves a clean take and I didn't and I didn't have one. <laughs> God, I had so long to come up with a bit for this. There are so many good bits that are available to us for this intro and we just we've just fluffed it. <laughs> I, we I, haven't done anything. I did a great job. My intro was You did you did do a great job. Thank I'm you. Al Baker from the UK and I could have used a rehearsal for this introduction. This was an emergency insertion episode. This was not planned. We were going to go on and do something with a different panel, but this show just blew all of our minds. And by mutual agreement, we said we need to do this a mere week after recording the last one. Who wants to start? What is your background with this property? So I'll start because I've been a a Nathan Fielder stand for, I I think, 10 years. And it's been my juicy little comedy TV secret for all of that time. It's been the thing where if I wanted someone to think I was cool, I would tell them, you've got to watch Nathan For You, as was his show at the time. And even now, even after the success of the rehearsal, it seems like Nathan For You is still something of an underseen phenomenon. But at the time, it was like nothing else I'd ever seen. And I was convinced immediately that the guy was an enigma and a genius. And I've kind of had that experience of watching everyone go nuts over the rehearsal of like feeling a bit salty because I liked him before he was cool. But really, it's such a masterpiece and it is impossible to feel bad. And I'm just, I'm just happy that Nathan Fielder is continuing to be paid money to do seemingly whatever he likes and conduct the most, I guess, elaborate and expensive form of therapy that anyone's ever embarked on. Who else? Sarah, you go first because I'm going to throw us for Luke. You go first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm still not sure if I liked it, if I liked the show at all. Okay. I'm not going as for Luke because you're saying exactly what I'm thinking. I think I appreciated it. I really admired his commitment to the bit, but I don't think I liked it. I feel a little icky after watching the rehearsal, to be honest, but I laughed a lot. I went through all of the emotions with the show. And I did check out some of the Nathan for you episodes, a few of them, but the rehearsal for me, just, I don't know if I can, as an ethical person, watch the next season. Good that we're covering it now then. Lawrence, elaborate. (laughs) I don't know if I have a stronger reaction as Sarah Lynn, actually. So I have no problem whatsoever watching the next season. I think the next season is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. What my issue comes from is I really enjoyed the rehearsal. I thought it was, I thought it was really, really good. I didn't like that first episode, but I, but going back and watching the first episode the second time, I realized how he was like setting things up. It was coming on a little bit later on. I thought I was getting one show and then it became something very different, which mm-hmm. is, I, mm-hmm. you know, we exactly. can talk about that. But Nathan, for you, I thought was a, it was fine. I mean, I didn't love it, love it, but it was, it was a fine show. But the rehearsal is doing something really, really different. And I don't 
know if I liked it. It's like watching a car wreck and you can't not look, but you look and I don't know what to make of it. Like, because the commentary on Judaism is there. The commentary on Christianity is there. The commentary on like child actors and whatnot. And I also get the impression that he's working through like divorce and whatnot. I don't know if I liked it, but I did like it. And I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. That's where I am. I'm uncomfortable. I feel like I need to do some host duties because I feel like some people tuning into this, maybe just because it was the next one in the feed, don't even know what this show is. So Nathan, for you, is explicitly a, I am helping businesses, but it's on the comedy channel. So it's helping businesses by giving them a really, usually a pretty dumb idea, but you know, something that has some plausibility, like I want to get more business for this car wash. Well, let's install on a nearby tree that cars will be passing just before they would see the sign for the car wash, a bunch of birds that will shit on the cars as they wait (laughs) at the stoplight. And just seeing that in a reality show sort of situation play out it's i thought a pretty brilliant format and he did it for four seasons and so it had a formula in the very last episode i kind of can't believe it lasted four seasons i'm kind of shocked. Same here. I know. so the top line is just a parody of like your ramsey's kitchen nightmares mm-hmm. or yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever kind of celebrity comes in to fix a struggling business ostensibly but here's where i think it starts to become genius because it's a parody of those shows not just on the surface level of the format but also in the sense that he's also doing what those shows are really doing, which is using that as an excuse to try and provoke like really weird people into doing really weird things on camera. And that's where a lot of the juice comes in. And as Mark was getting at as well, like another weird USP is the schemes he comes up with are always insanely elaborate, rude Goldbergian levels of yeah. like, completely like dumb Starbucks. Like, I, I mean, can't believe yeah. he pulled that off. Usually he is the butt of the joke like it's that he is posing as this expert when he's clearly not and it's sort of made clear in the opening credits that i went to a business school and i got really good grades and it shows like he has a c plus for something and like (laughs) they're okay grades so clearly this is i felt for the most part watching that show even though as we'll discuss it relies very heavily on embarrassment humor It was usually, you know, it was not like borat where he's exposing but then in in the very last episode of that Al, you'd strongly recommended to me finding Francis, which we could talk about, but he stumbled on this idea of, I'm going to reunite someone with their long lost love. So we're going to search her and you're going to, I think just as a bit for that thing, let's rent a stage and have you rehearse what you would say to this person. And it actually seems like it's really useful in that situation because this person is sort of a mess and would not be saying the right thing. And so getting an actress to play the supposed love interest that he'll be reuniting with and going through many variations of like what she could say, like that's really interesting TV. And so that was ostensibly the premise for this show, but it only really happens in the first episode and a half (laughs) of the rehearsal. Yes. Yes. Wait, so should we set up the premise of the rehearsal? Yes. Yes. So go ahead. Now we got to talk about the the rehearsal. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, what is the premise of the rehearsal? (laughs) It's a reality show where you, you're rehearsing having awkward conversations or awkward interactions with people. Big moments in their lives. Yeah. So yeah. You rehearse that before you actually have it happen. I'm going to let somebody else take over because I don't know what the hell that's well to say. If you haven't seen this at all and you have 
HBO. Well, first, just sign up for it if you don't have it. But just watch the first five minutes. Are you getting paid by HBO to say that? What are you doing? What's going on? You're just giving out free free money. HBO bucks. It seems like half the shows we talk about on here. Anyway, <laughs> it, know, sure. if, if people have lost that, grapple with their own consciences on that, on that score. <laughs> but it reveals what, in the first five minutes of the first episode, it lays it out all very clearly in this specific circumstance. This guy is on a trivia team and he's really into trivia and he's been living a lie for a decade or something with his teammates that they think he has a graduate degree when he only said that originally or let people think that because he just felt insecure about not having a graduate degree. Was that person a real person or was he? Oh, yes. No, that was absolutely a real person. No, he was a real person. That dude was so fucking weird, man. Like, like, he made me (laughs) so uncomfortable, the way that dude. He was so weird. And this is one problem I have, I think, with the show that I think Cor was weird. I think Angela was bonkers. And the other guy, what was the other guy's name? The one who was a little anti-Semitic. The gold digger guy. All three of those people. So, so all these people those are, are real, real people. Yes. Get the yeah. fuck out of here. I thought they were actors. They were real people. No. Wow. It seems like you're missing the whole point of the show, Lawrence. Man, this <laughs> is messing with me, man. Except for in the occasions where Nathan feels a need to rehearse an encounter that he's right. going to have with so them and got- has them being played by other actors. Yeah. But I still don't think we've actually done the job of laying out the premise of the show properly. <laughs> Go ahead, keep going, keep going, Mark. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, no. But don't you think the three real people, you know, apparently they were from a Craigslist ad or something, right? And they don't seem like, I think you're right, Lawrence. They're all weird in their own way. But I also think, I wondered how much self-awareness they had, you know, like, did they realize how they were coming across? Because I think if you were aware of how you were coming across and you were coming across like that, that you wouldn't sign up for something like this. And he took advantage of that. Oh, absolutely. He did. One thing I want to say is I do love everything that he's done. And I think he's genius, but I think the attitude that Lawrence and Sarah Lynn have come out watching these shows with is absolutely the right one in that I don't think you're supposed to know what to make of any of it. And I think Nathan Fielder is really good at not just making himself the butt of the joke, but making himself kind of explicitly the villain of the piece in a lot of the shows that he does. And in the case of, what's the name of the woman, the main woman in the rehearsal? Angela. Angela. Angela, yeah. Angela. I mean, she is clearly a weird person and like a really despicable person in a lot of ways. But I think Nathan Fielder, to my mind, he does a really good job of taking this person showing how weird she is, and then throughout the series, making us sympathize with her and against him. Because by the time she leaves the show, spoiler alert, she has enough of him at one point and leaves, and then leaves him to rehearse being a parent all by himself. I didn't agree with that at all. I felt like she was right to leave at that point, and I was kind of on her side then. But obviously, the show spent a long time making fun of her. But I do think that what that is doing is is getting at something which is a commonplace in a huge amount of reality television. And what Nathan Fielder's programs do that those programs don't is brings it into focus. One of the really clever things that I think Nathan Fielder does is just like lay bare how exploitative so much reality TV is, but he's just not afraid to make himself the explicit villain. Time out for a second. I don't think it's possible to explain what the hell the show is doing. Like, what's it about? Maybe people, you should just say to people, I don't want to go over your show. Just say to them, go watch the fucking show and then come back and listen to us. Because honestly, I I don't think it's possible. That's reasonable because, yeah, the way that it evolves is so surprising. 
and interesting. And it becomes just like the last episode, the finding Francis, it becomes a drama in the last 15 minutes or half hour. And that's crazy. <laughs> it becomes about Nathan Fielder. So the show, the rehearsal, I'm just going to try and lay it out in one sentence. It's a show ostensibly where Nathan Fielder takes people who have to do difficult things and gives them an opportunity to rehearse those difficult things so that they go into those encounters more confidently. That's the idea. And there are a couple of places where that happens just straightforwardly. But the rehearsal by the end becomes about the question of why Nathan Fielder wants to make this show in the first place, which is similar to how Finding Francis ends up. It's like, why did I take time out of my like professional life to help this weird old guy kind of scarily track down a woman that he was in love with like 60 years ago. And that also is what I think is kind of remarkable. Like there's a famous scene in one of the Nathan View episodes where one of the characters that, that Nathan Fielder finds refers to him as the wizard of loneliness. And that really is what Nathan Fielder is or what he conceives himself as. He is, he is, he is a lonely, weird guy. Well, as a character. Yeah, I don't know yeah. who he is and... He might be happily married and... Well, no, I know he's divorced. You know, it, he was, he's okay. divorced. He's definitely not that. There's, there's that moment in the, in, in the rehearsal where his parents are talking about his romantic history. And oh, yeah, saying, yeah. Well, you know, this kind of brings up a few red flags that we've experienced before. Those are really his parents, yeah. yeah. This is so weird to me. Okay. <laughs> it is so strange. They, and it is. it becomes a show about him... But I still wonder why. What's the purpose of that? It uncovers a lot of really interesting ideas, which I would love to talk about. But at the end, I'm still going, well, for what purpose? And what the hell is he going to do for season two? And I know I said I wasn't going to watch season two, but I probably will anyway. (laughs) You're going to watch it. We know where you're going to watch it. (laughs) I can't resist it. Because it is like a car crash. Contra Lawrence is saying, you're wearing us into the first episode. I feel like the first episode was a template that I could have used more establishment for. Like before Mm. he went on this bizarre, let's simulate having a family, which just took over the rest of the show. I could have used, you know, like Nathan for you, there's a formula. We could have as many seasons as you want of him helping businesses with wacky ideas. I think this idea of the rehearsal has enough legs that it should have been inserting another three episodes in there. Before we even start the family thing, I would have felt more comfortable about the show just in terms of like, this is the queer eye parody of I'm going to sweep into your life and we're going to use this bizarre technique that I just found to enable you to deal with a stressful situation. And we're going to take something that's actually pretty trivial, you know, in the grand scheme of things this one conversation you have to have and we'll spend so much money on it and recreate these environments. Exactly. You know, that's what's hilarious about the whole thing is is the flagrant use of of money. I don't know. How did you feel about that? Like getting one and a half instances of that was not enough. The gold digger being the half. I agree. I was disappointed that we didn't get like six rehearsals with the parenthood thing being a through line through the whole series. I thought that was what they were going for. I wonder whether there's a depressingly prosaic explanation in that when they were making that show was over covid And there's probably a million and one reasons why any one rehearsal that you might try to set up would fall through at any given place anyway. So maybe they, maybe it just, they tried that and it just didn't work. And what we saw was just the show that they could make out of the amount of stuff that they were able to film. Like a documentary. It says so much about the editing process, right? 
I wonder if they set out thinking this is going to be this type of show and then it ended up being something completely different, much like documentaries do do that too. You know, they get halfway through and they're like, oh, I thought it was about this, but it's actually about that. And then there was this whole thing that really affected me and really, I loved it. Then I hated it. The whole addiction part with the kid who, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to say about it, except that I liked it and I hated it at the same time. And then he kind of reboots it by getting a new kid, but he convinces the kid to be disillusioned and like addicted. But then he, I don't know what to do with this this show. I have no idea what to do with this show. I'm kind of used to Nathan Fielder's bullshit at this point. And I was, when that scene happened, I was literally open mouth. So for the the audience at home, the big through line of the show is the big, is a rehearsal for parenthood. So one of the stupidest conceits in the show (laughs) is that we need to do, uh, we need to rehearse an entire childhood, but we've only got six weeks to do it in, which means that every day, is needs to represent like three years of the child's life, which means that they're switching out enormous numbers of child actors here and there. But Nathan Fielder also goes away for a couple of weeks on a business trip and so has to internalize that in the fiction that he's creating as he has been an absent father for like however many Nine years. Nine years. Yeah. During which time his child develops a drug abuse problem because of his terrible absentee parent situation. And it culminates in an overdose scene, which is absolutely horrific and it's terrible it is so in lots of ways it's also badly acted yeah i mean it's not well acted it's terrible it's very disturbing it is but didn't it seem to you like like nathan fielder in in that scene was being genuinely was also seemed genuinely like horrified yeah like what was going it seemed like given that he's not an actor that this is kind of how he would actually react like i Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angela seemed pretty blase about it. She was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> she knows it's fake. She knows it's fake. I mean, so. She, she totally checked out by that time anyway. She did, yeah. <laughs> but then what he decides to do is instead of deal with the consequences of his fictional child's overdose, he decides to just wind the clock back and replace the fake child he had an overdose with a brand new, fresh six year old child which I think is one of the most explicit cases in the show of one of its core themes, I think, which is maybe Nathan Fielder's own idea that what he has decided to do for work is just a substitute for a real life. That He's like missed the chance to have any kind of real life for himself because all he's done with his adulthood is make like weirdly elaborate copies of reality. And how much did you love that slide? So we we see the teenager oh, yeah. <laughs> and then comes out six-year-old and then they go back and they see the teenager it's edging just, out at the top of the slide. Yeah. That had me rolling on the floor. But it's so awkward. And then and then there's the conceit of he has the mirror inside of the... That was the oh my God. visual joke. <laughs> that was so yeah, weird. It ages him. Like, <laughs> okay, so, so this show is so full of ideas. Like, it has so many ideas that he's stuffing into. Each idea is pretty interesting, but all of them together seems like it's just overwhelming the show, while at the same time, the show is still a very good show. It's really confusing. And I think that the way that we're talking about the show, like we're jumping all over, all over the things. Like we're not, like normally a PMP has like, Mark is very methodically. These are the things that we're doing. <laughs> we're doing this, then we're doing this, then we're doing this. We're jumping all over the show. And that kind of shows us just how the show is just kind of bonkers. Because we still haven't even talked about the guy who he was going to be the parent for a little bit. And then he dropped out 
because he thought like this show is all over the place. There's so many things going on in this show. So yeah, so this is like the bat, not the Bachelor, but one of those dating shows. I don't know. I don't watch The Bachelor, but there I recall like a MTV like blind date show or something where the actual Angela who's signed up to do this parent simulation experience is going on Match.com or whatever. His name Robin. Yeah, ma- Robin. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Robin. Yes. And meeting various guys, and they show parts of these dates very briefly to show how you know. I'm sure they pick the most horrible ones. And then this guy who seems like a nice guy, but is younger. Does he? He at least seems <laughs> like a Christian match. But he's like a Christian, then, but he's also like a pothead or something like that. Like, he's and he's in numerology, all of the number stuff. He might be a compatible kind of weird. You think with Angela, apart from their attitudes about sex, and he goes over and seems interested to join this thing because he thinks he's going to get laid. You know, and he's like, is telling Nathan this, and she was very explicit yeah. about, "Nope, that is not going to happen." But he brought, I think, condoms or something anyway. Did not understand what he was committing to and bugged out within hours of having to wake up and feed a robot child. And he times. completely just like leaves. He just leaves. Like, he and that's what makes me think, like, understand that those are real people. Because I don't think if you were under contract, you were acting, that you would be able to leave like that. I mean, I think Angela, she was a real person and she bagged out. I don't think that they would allow you to do that if you if you had signed on the dotted line. Let's stop for a little bit of sponsor talk. Are you into top 10 lists? And I've got to tell you about a hilarious new podcast, Tennis Podcast. It's a comedy podcast covering a new top 10 list every week. One of the two hosts brings a top 10 list along with fun facts and trivia. And the other host does not know what the list is ahead of time. Join them in trying to guess all items on the list in real time. Past lists include top 10 highest grossing films, top 10 best-selling books, top 10 deadliest animals, top 10 most popular profanity, and many more. With about 200 episodes and counting, there's sure to be a top 10 list for you. Listen to Tennis Podcast now on any podcast app, including the one you're listening to on right now, or go to TennisPod.com. That's 10ISH Podcast. Even some of the people they have on the show who are actors, like one of, I think my favorite episode in the series, uh, The Fielder Method, where Nathan <laughs> Fielder goes back to LA and trains a bunch of actors in how to do rehearsals. I can't even describe that episode because he at one point is playing one of the actors who is playing him. And he's got one room of actors who are playing another room of actors who he had previously had a seminar with so that he can try and get the experience of listening to himself talk from them anyways it's nuts but even the people who are actors who are explicitly actors you still get a lot of focus on them and how weird it is to be an actor in one of nathan fielder's little pretend escapades i'm prepared to give nathan fielder like all the benefit of the doubt and say that there are basically no stooges anywhere in the show i think it would affront his creative pride to set much up he used those actors. They were, I think, fake Angela was the bartender. And I think, you know, you could see a lot of them do background work, you know, like moving stuff and things like that. So that was good that they were. But it does show you that being an actor is humiliating on some level. You know, it's like the things that you have to agree to, that you have to buy into. I mean, having them go and it was their primary, right? To go and observe their primary and their their place of work and then have to pretend to be a security guard <laughs> or, or sweep up. To actually a, be a, a security garage. guard for yes. a yeah. week or something. <laughs> yes. 
the things that actors have to agree to do is uh, it's like nothing else. Yet people line up for those jobs. You know, I mean, there's for every one job, there's, you know, at least a hundred or more actors who are vying for it. And so this brings me to honestly the core issue that I have with the show that I don't think is resolvable. If these are real people, is he making fun? The child actors and whatnot, we'll put it to the side. But like the guy who was weird and he was getting sex, Angela, all these real genuine people. Now his parents are different, but the real people, it feels as though he's kind of making fun of them. And that is distasteful to me. Right. And I'm still going to watch it because I, I like that kind of shit because I'm, I'm a bad <laughs> person. But I'm just being honest. <laughs> but it's very distasteful. Like it feels like he's making fun of. Even though Al is right that he makes himself the villain in a lot of ways, they're still like showing their mm-hmm. really, really weird quirks yeah. on television, and we can't help but make fun of them in our heads. And I, I don't know how. I feel how, about how is that any different than any reality show? You know, on Survivor or whatever. You're like, oh, I really like, and they know that they're on a reality show. They know that they're being filmed, and people are familiar with reality shows and what those do. But it's punching down. It's like, and I understand. If he's trying to make it look like he's punching down, it does make Nathan Fielder the villain of the piece. That makes him a a shitty person. But it's still punching down in a way. I think Lawrence is absolutely right. And this is absolutely the the right question to be asking about Nathan Fielder's oeuvre. Let me try and address it by harking back to the end of Finding Francis. So Finding Francis is the, the last episode of Nathan for You. It's an hour and a half long. To my mind, one of the greatest pieces of television that's ever been made. Everyone should watch it. I kind of agree with you on that point. It's really good. One of the best things in it is that Nathan Fielder develops a relationship with an escort because he's spending a bunch of time in nowhere in Arkansas working with Bill to find this woman and he's bored and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he strikes up a relationship with this escort, Macy. And what's wonderful about that, firstly, Macy is the first person in the show who directly calls him out on his bullshit. She says, you're funny, but you're mean. You lie to everybody that you work with. And I don't think that's good. And Nathan Fielder is like, yeah, fine. But what's really interesting is the similarities between escort work and what Nathan Fielder does. And the fact that because it's all about acting in order to elicit the kind of response that you want from someone to make them feel comfortable to get them to do the things that you want to do. But Macy comes out as a very genuine person, someone who's still very, is able to do that kind of work, but is still very in touch with themselves as a human being. Whereas Nathan Fielder puts himself forward as kind of like an alien, more or less, or someone for whom the work robs him of his humanity. So getting back to Lawrence's point, I think you're absolutely right. He does make fun of people in a way that is often not okay but I think if what you've decided to set out to do is to satirize the way that TV bullies people routinely, which I think like at bottom is what Nathan Fielder is trying to do a lot of the ways. You can't do that without engaging in that kind of behavior. It's hard to do it well without engaging in the same kind of behavior. But what Nathan Fielder does consistently is show that he's diminished by doing that, like his moral standing is diminished. His view of his own life is, is diminished. So the remaining question, which I think is absolutely a live one. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, is 
is it okay to humiliate people even if the reason you're doing that is to show why so much popular entertainment does come down to humiliating people for no good reason i wouldn't have a problem with him offering commentary on that if he wasn't doing it by offering commentary you know what i'm saying like like he's he's engaging in the practices. sure the satire is the practice i mean you get exactly. as, as al was just saying yeah you got to do it to satire <laughs> satirize it but i don't think you have to do it i wish we could find a way because look Angela, I think she's terrible human being. I don't want anything to do with it, but I don't like, I don't want to laugh at her. And so I wish there was a way for him to do what he wants to do without doing the exact same things that he's critiquing. There was a show a few years ago called Unreal. Did anyone see that? Of course no. I did. I watched the first season. That, once they got into the racial thing in the second season, they lost me, but it's fine. The first season was great. So there's a drama about people making a bachelor type show. Mm-hmm. Another way of doing a satire about reality TV, it was like a drama where there was like a fictionalized version of a Bachelor type show. And, it sh- and the main thrust of it was showing all of the horrible shit that the producers on shows like that do in order to provoke the kind of reactions that they need in order to be able to tell the kind of story that they want to be able to tell in editing. I really like that show, but it doesn't bite anywhere near as hard as Nathan Fielder's stuff. Because yeah, you're right. Because it's all fiction. He's also all of these people signed up for this. These are adults, other than the children, mm-hmm. and I really do want to talk about the children. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but these adults signed up for this, and even if they're not as self aware as maybe most people are, they still live in the world. They've seen reality television. I mean, you have to be living under a rock not to know that you will be exploited. That's just the definition of reality TV. Yet people still sign up for this stuff. They still sign up to do this. But wait a second. So let's go back to the first episode. That black guy. Core. Core. Okay. I have a strong suspicion. I cannot prove this. I don't know that guy. But he, like, he really gave me really, really strong on the spectrum vibes. Again, I want to say that I cannot prove this. I don't know this for sure, of course. Like Nathan himself. Yes, but he gave me his persona. Yeah, his persona, because I don't know what Nathan's actually like. Mm -hmm. That dude's weird. So here's the thing. If that dude is on the spectrum at all and like he's on the show, I'm not sure that he knows how he's coming off. And I'm not sure that he knows. I'm not sure that he can give he can fully give his consent to, to being on the show and being portrayed. Because so there's like a B plot of that first episode where in order for Nathan to make the rehearsal work, he has to like give the guy the answers to something like that. For Yeah, that he'll be distracted by losing at trivia and not yeah. be able to make the confession to his friend that he's supposed to make. <laughs> and so like, we just need to somehow neutralize that whole thing by incepting him with the trivia answers. Yeah. Right. And so the way that that guy was like really, really hardcore about, I got to get it right. I have an ethical issue. I have to get it right. That gave me really strong on the spectrum vibes, man. It really, really did. Now, if that guy's on the spectrum, that's kind of evil what Nathan does to him. Because... We're watching this show. That dude has a weird haircut. He's really strange. He's really awkward. I'm sorry, guys. Like, I really felt uncomfortable. Now, I'm not saying don't watch the show. I'm not saying that I'm not going to watch the next season. I'm just saying it made me feel very uncomfortable how they handled that dude. I did not feel like this is not the whack pack. You know, Howard Stern's, you know, let's get someone right. on who is actually has you know, a documentable disorder and see how funny it is to t- like, I thought with the editing choices and stuff, core in particular just came off as quirky, like a likable guy. Yes. He's too obsessed about trivia. I'm just saying this was my read at the time. 
Mickey Mouse is a weirdo. Not more so than his friend that he had to tell the thing to. She was yeah, not, you know, and she was <laughs> presumably they had to get her permission after the fact because she was not mm-hmm. in right. the loop for this entire thing. And she had the actress that was going to play her in the rehearsals basically stalking her, doing this interview under false pretenses. So that whole thing could have blown up in their faces if she had just not given permission. The only person who, which, you know, another plausible reason why so many of the rehearsals that they may have planned to do may have just fallen through. But I think the only person who made a stink after the fact about their involvement in the show, Robin, who out of everybody on the show is like unquestionably a dirtbag, like from just the clear unedited bits of the discussions between him and his housemate, his housemate who flatmate guy just seemed like the world's most reasonable <laughs> dude who was do, doing his best. Oh my God. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I don't have a problem with Nathan Fielder. To be honest, I liked Nathan for you more than I liked the rehearsal. I just like that show a little bit better. The rehearsal is just has so many ethical issues for me that I just I cannot full throatedly say I loved it, but I'm really fascinated by it. Like I said, it was like watching a car wreck happen in slow motion. But then we have to talk about the kids. We got to talk about the kids. Because mm. the kids, that was a whole nother issue that I had with the show. Just the way that the kids were used. Poor Remy. And apparently Remy's yeah. doing fine. But that stunned me. My jaw was on. I think I, I was crying. I cried actually yeah. with that kid, that poor kid. And I don't know if they foresaw that. We should just explain that when you're dealing right. with a, I guess he was supposed to be six. He seemed younger than that. But anyway, when you're dealing with actors that are this young, pretending to be someone's child, perhaps they would get confused and form an attachment. I guess it was only, you know, a matter of a three day experience or whatever that he had with Nathan. So like, I don't know how it's that much different than having a babysitter that a kid especially likes. But anyway, it, because he was calling him daddy and they were saying, I love you and stuff, it created something that they took very seriously on the show and dealt with, like gave a significant amount of screen time to let's not have psychologically harmed this child by this experience. But in his real life, he was raised by a single mom. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, what did the mom think she was signing up for? I have to remember that she thought she was signing up for an experience that was similar to his own, that he would be raised by a single mom, Angela. Right. Like that was the experience she thought she was signing up for, not raised by Nathan Fielder alone. That was a little unclear is exactly when yeah. when the various actors got involved. But they did show him having to ring around all of the parents yes. saying, I am now going to be playing the, the the role of the father and the like the comical flow chart that he had to go through. But I think very clearly what they're saying with like the aftermath and the effect that being on the show had on this kid. I think very clearly what the show was saying was we should not have been allowed to do this. No. And I think that's the undertone with a lot of weirder stuff that Nathan Fielder does. It's like, I am doing this because I asked if I could and someone said it was okay. And, you know, I'm going to do it, but I don't think it's necessarily a good thing to be doing. And that's why I'm kind of shocked that he got a second season because he's essentially commenting on people giving him the okay to do these things. Like, I didn't think that I should have the okay to do this. So I'm going to do it since you gave me the okay. And they gave him the okay for another season. I'm kind of shocked that they gave him that second season. But it has us talking. It has people talking. It's garnered attention. I'm sure it's got pretty decent ratings. I just, I do not know what to make of this show. 
But isn't that part of the point? Like it's gotten all this attention. Is that the point attention that seems so stupid? (laughs) Are we going to exploit all of these people, including children, including people who may or may not be on the spectrum? Is that worth it for all of this talk, all of this chatter about it? I still am struggling to find out, well, what's the point? If it ends up being about Nathan Fielder himself, then what's the point? I'm going to come in and be a stronger defender of Nathan Fielder. I think the point is that this show is no more cruel, no more unethical than the vast majority of reality TV that exists. And what makes this show important? More scripted TV. Well, maybe scripted a lot, yeah, because as you say, like being an actor is insanely explosive, especially and especially child actors and all the rest of it. I think why this show is important is that it does engage in a lot of problematic, unethical filmmaking, but it is upfront about it, centers that, focuses on that, and like shows how dehumanizing it is to like every, all the participants and to the people who make it. And that's why it's important. If the show wasn't made, yes, people are talking about it, but the value of the show is, is satire. And I think it's important because no one is going to stop making reality TV shows but I think it's important that there is a show as well-made and interesting as this one, which forces us to remember how cruel and inhumane the whole enterprise of reality TV is. But there's still collateral damage. You know, they're still potentially ruining people's lives while they're doing it. They're still doing it. Going back to the sort of source conception of Nathan for you, I see this whole thing. The appeal for me of it is as conceptual art is as hmm. we're going to try, it's the ideas. And the rehearsal is just one among many of the ideas that he came up on Nathan for you, including not just helping businesses, but also, do you remember the magic show? There was one where he was going to do an escape artist trick where I will have a mechanical arm that will pull my pants mm-hmm. yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah. and I will be a convicted sex criminal if I do not get out of the handcuffs and push the button to stop the mechanical arm from pulling my pants down. Like, what a freaking idea. Like, this, this is what is genius about it. And it's just sort of discovered along the way as he's been doing it that, well, when you put ideas with actual people, then the people's reactions become very interesting. And the rehearsal is explicitly, you know, something, again, he stumbled on in the last episode of Nathan For You of that exploring the unpredictability of human relationships that, you know, helping a business is all about controlling people, getting more customers, getting customers Mm. to buy your product. But what else can we do with manipulation, with helping people supposedly, but because it doesn't just actually do normal rehearsals, quote unquote, normal rehearsal for five episodes. Like it is a examination throughout of the concept. Like, is this actually a workable thing? How far can it go? What are crazy situations that, you know, we haven't talked about the, uh, I threw a birthday party, but to save money, I hired extras for the <laughs> yeah. birthday party. Extras aren't allowed so, to talk. So they're, not, they're not allowed to talk. That like was, HBO couldn't that was, afford that extra 15K. Yes. <laughs> so that's one of, one of many things. That's, you know, Lawrence, you're talking about all these ideas that are stuffed in there and, and the digital mirror that shows him aging mm-hmm. is what, you know, yeah. that mm-hmm. is why I like the show. The more ideas that are stuffed in there, the better as far as I'm concerned. And he could always go back to them and sort of develop them. My partner in my improv podcast is a super fan of these Nathan for you things because he really feels like it's the same skills that are in improv that you get in the situation and you just 
react and shift your focus as to what seems like most emotionally salient. So that's just the story of these last handful of episodes where he's just following the trail of which are the parts, if it is the child actors, if it's his own emotional state, does rehearsing actually work? You know, he has the Jewish matron who he's like, do you want to rehearse this conversation? And she's like, no, I like to shoot from the hip. Just having a character (laughs) like that in there, I I thought was just a great examination of this concept of the rehearsal. It's not about showing that Angela is a crazy Christian. That is a byproduct. That's a thing that they get to do because she's being shown as she is. But, you know, it's mostly about like the rehearsal process and to the extent to which a normal person could actually engage in this with the kind of seriousness that he does. You know what, though? I think you bring up like a really good point about improv because it seems like he is trying to control these situations. It's all about manipulation and control, but he is at his most human when he's just rolling with it. Like when he is playing Dr. Farts with the (laughs) six-year-old and just having a good time, that was just kind of a magical moment. He seems so human in those moments or when he's having the conversation with his parents. When things don't go the way that he thinks they're going to go, that's when he's the most human. It's when he's trying to control that I think of him as either this evil genius or he's just sort of going down the wrong, he's clearly going down the wrong path. I hated Angela so fucking much. She is not my kind of person. I thought the editors helped out, but a few times they cut to her while he's making some comment to her, like listening to her Walkman or whatever, you know, and sort of dancing around. And I felt like she was a consistent character. She had her values. She was one of those people. I think this is a character that a lot of people will be like, oh, I know somebody like that. I think that's yeah. that's sort of the value of a lot of these reality TV characterizations is, you know, even with core, like, oh, I know somebody that's kind of on the spectrum, kind of obsessed, but, you know, has good intentions, whatever. So Angela, just it was such a vivid picture and engaging somebody who's super Christian in this way about Halloween and about but not in a argumentative way. He like tries to be as conciliatory as possible. I agree. I was kind of raised in like a little bit like not that crazy, but like next door to that crazy. And it gave me haunting like, oh, my God, I know people who are like this. This is so crazy. And maybe that says more about me and maybe that's what's, what's going on. Like maybe the show is the way that it is because it makes you reflect upon yourself and the people that you know who are like this and how there are really people in the world who think this. Like she thinks crazy, crazy. This things. is the country we live in. These are like what Trump voters or whatever are. We can't just secede, you know, have them secede. We have to live in a society with them. What are productive ways? And I think, you know, he gives it an honest try. And so does she in terms of, you know, how can we engage civilly despite our very different beliefs? No one comes out clean. Like Mariam there is is initially oh. like a voice of reason. And then like, whoa, does that go downhill she fast? She needs a hard turn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe what the show is saying is that all of us are flawed. And maybe yeah. that's what the commentary is. And so it is just kind of lays it out there. If that's what is it's going not, on. It's, yeah. it's punching maybe, sideways. Yeah. <laughs> just picking up on something that Mark was talking about earlier, which I think is absolutely right. It's maybe the big point of the rehearsal is that the whole idea just doesn't work. And the more elaborately you try to reconstruct reality, the less it functions as a mm-hmm. replacement for reality. I think this is made really explicit in an interesting way. 
in the Field of Method episode when he finally realizes, I mean, he must have realized this a long time ago, but when he finally says to camera, oh, hey, I can't understand what it's like to be one of these people sitting in my class because I have this power relationship to everyone else in this room. Everyone here is just trying to make me happy and I will never understand what that's like. So I can't rehearse this because of the position that I'm in. Maybe that's one of the key ideas that the whole show is playing with is that the more elaborately you try to reconstruct reality, the less or the further away you get from actually being able to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rube Goldberg-esque, what, what is the uh, Matryoshka doll? Simulations within simulations within simulations that is pointed at in that episode that he is, as we were saying, I'm going to be a student now and observe my own class. Like, that's kind of interesting, but let me do it again and I will think the thoughts that an actor will think. I want to really internalize this. And then I want to carry this through. So while he had asked this particular actor to go live the life of his, you know, a life similar to his his primary, the person (laughs) he's trying to imitate, leaving his house and moving in with, then now he, as the fake Thomas, as the fake actor, is going to himself work with actors that are playing actors. And you could sort of see it as if it were going all the way down multiple levels beyond that. We may yes. be wrapping this up, oh, yeah. but people are listening to this and like, oh my gosh, these crazy philosophical ideas. I want I cannot express to you how funny this show is. Though. True. This show is so incredibly laugh out loud. I literally was having pains in my side laughing funny. Even while it makes me feel uncomfortable, even while it's icky, even while I think it's maybe overstuffed with ideas, I do think that Nathan Fielder is a remarkable comic talent. Even though he may be a little weird with his ideas, even though I don't know how I feel about his shows. I feel like I've only confessed this on the after talks, but whenever I watch Nathan stuff, like I'm very sensitive to embarrassment on screen. And so I will pause <laughs> like, oh, a, th- a thing is happening. I will pause. I will go do something else and I will come back to it. So that, you know, <laughs> that, I don't know that I could just sit and watch the show straight All through, the way through it would be yeah i hate embarrassment humor i hate cringe i've never been able to watch the office even because it focuses on that kind of stuff and yet for some reason maybe just because i'm pretentious and the the layers and layers <laughs> of ideas that are going on in in nathan fielder's shows it's a sole exception for me in terms of that kind of of humor i can't get enough of it and i'm i mean I'm well, you are british it. so that kind of comes along with being british <laughs> yeah well and, and being embarrassed you know the quintessential british humor of of, yeah, it uh, it's our state it of is. nature, yeah. yes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Any final thoughts from anybody? Watch the show, think about it. I don't know what I feel about it. Should I watch yeah. the show again? That's what I'm wondering. Maybe before season two comes out, I will watch season one again. The, the second time I watched it, I really enjoyed it a, a lot more. So the first mm. time I was just kind of like, what the hell is going on? And it's the second time that I watched it, I began to realize, wow, there's method here. He's up to something. All right. Hey, if you were featured on the show and you're listening to this because you were Googling people talking about the show, I would love to hear from you. I will invite listeners in general to reach out through the website and tell us what you thought. Actually, mark at prettymuchpop.com. That will work. And I will spread your words to the, to the co-hosts here. Thanks all for this emergency session of Pretty Much Pop. I think we have plenty of ideas here, even without drawing on the, uh, I don't know. Somebody found one article from the New Yorker that was super mean about the show and didn't really get it. I'm sure we could find lots of other scattered critiques. This just invites people to come up with their own theories or ways to be condescending to Nathan or 
just fascinating. I mean, my general benchmark for what makes a good piece of art is like, how much can you say about it? And it just feels like there's no end of interesting things you could say about Nathan Fielder's shows. True. And I haven't stopped thinking about it. Like I can't stop thinking about this. Whereas I already forgot about Jurassic World. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I will not stand for this slander. This has been, (laughs) this has been episodes of slander towards Jurassic World. I'm so upset. I believe I Nathan so helped behind the scenes in Jurassic World re- help those, those actors <laughs> he rehearse. Helped the rehearsals. <laughs> he helped the dinosaurs rehearse is what he helped them. So he he like laid down, let them eat him, and then he, they were able to eat us. <laughs> he built a functioning time machine to enable them to go back. To there we go. A Sam Neill robot that the dinosaurs could interact with to see how they would perform with the real thing because they might be starstruck when they meet. I feel personally attacked. I feel personally attacked right now. <laughs> All right. Bye, listeners. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.